Yeah, I thought we were going to sing some more, so I was sitting down there going, do I go up or not? And my wife goes, I think this is you, so here I am. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to introduce this all week long. There was a change of schedule. I was supposed to speak last night, and then uh, somehow Will couldn't, and he, he needed five sessions so I'm squeezing five into four, but he's squeezing 60 into five, <laughs> right? That's what he said last night, so this should be a piece of cake for me, but uh, I'm going to cover four huge topics this week. Many of you may disagree with what I cover, so I'm just telling you up front. My goal is not to be your enemy, but be your friend. My goal is to plant a seed, not to exhaust the topic. The one I cover today, we could spend a year on, and that's not uh, an understatement at all. When I think of giants, I think if you follow the metaphor, Goliath was a physical being, or the giants that they possessed the land when... Uh, the Israelites went into the land. It was, it was a real thing. It was outside themselves. It wasn't something, you know, you face having to eat your broccoli or something like that. Um, but it was something, if you follow the metaphor, it's something external usually. A giant is something you face. It's often persistent. It doesn't go away. The giants were something they constantly faced. And then also, it oftentimes is multi-generational. I'll explain that a little bit tomorrow. But in our day, if there's anything that qualifies following that metaphor, it certainly would be the redefinition of marriage. And most of that has happened literally in the last 10 years. It is flipped upside down. So I'm going to cover that today. Tomorrow... If this one's hard for you, tomorrow's going to be twice as hard. But we're going to talk about gender diffusion, or if you like the term gender confusion, I don't think you have to read past any given headline of any given day to understand the mire that we're in in our culture today for that. Then we're going to uh, discuss cultural assimilation on Wednesday and then Thursday, doctrinal deviation. I do want to just challenge you. I remember Dr. Myron up at Faith, he said, uh, I don't care if you agree with me so much as you understand why I say what I say. And that's my goal today for you. You may agree and you may say this is good. You may say I don't agree with you. That's okay, just understand why I say it. But I do believe one of the major issues of our day has been caused because we have redefined marriage. And so we face much of what we do today because we have changed what marriage means. When I think of uh, uh, the series here, we have the theme verse right here. And it's Joshua 1.9. And 
And the, the promise is the Lord is with you wherever you go. Be strong and of good courage. The Lord is with you wherever you go. I want you to remember and understand. And by the way, that there's three memory passages in your, in your uh, weekly schedule. Joshua 1.9 is one of them. But you cannot claim Joshua 1.9, the promise of God, unless you are following Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all the law, all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The promises of God are contingent oftentimes upon our obedience. And you cannot claim a promise oftentimes without the obedience that, that God requires. And that's what I want to build into this whole idea here. Let me lead you in prayer and then I'll take you through a, a flash series of PowerPoint slides, okay? Let's pray. Father, would you help us? to be students of your word so that we can learn to observe all that our Savior has commanded us, as he said in Matthew 28. Lord, may you work in our hearts and minds and help us to understand the word of God as you have revealed it as the God of the word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you know this or not, but I think I'm getting a tan up here. These lights up here are so bright, it's like... So there is a, a slide of this in the back. Good thing I made them all dark here. But anyway, the giant of marriage redefinition, the rejection of God's design for marriage, okay? The overall series statement, and I'm really tying it into the theme verse, is this. You cannot get the results God desires to give while ignoring the commands God has given. Would you read that out loud with me, please? You cannot get the results God desires to give while ignoring the commands God has given. We'll look at that every day. But a lot of us want the blessing of God. A lot of us want God to work in our lives with the intent of doing what He desires us to do. But the question is, are we obeying what God has commanded us to do? A lot of people have this false idea that we're in the age of grace. By the way, that's a true idea. But there are no commands to follow. We just do whatever we want. And you just simply, I have to say this, and you simply have not read your Bible. The New Testament is full of commands. And I just reference in my prayer the idea that Jesus said a disciple is one who is what? Observing his commands. It's doing what Jesus has said to do. So he, he intends to change our life to be molded by his dictates. We are following him as followers of Jesus Christ. Let's jump over here. When I think of giant, I think primarily, when, when you say giant in the Bible, you would probably say Goliath. Fair? That's not unfair, really. So let me talk about two things here, and then I'm jumping into marriage, okay? When we think of giant in the Bible, we think of Goliath. And then we also think of David, who single-handedly defeated this giant that others feared to confront, right? And he was, 
Whoever David was, he would be over under Scott's teaching right now in the teenage group. He was too young to be in the army, and he was too small to wear Saul's armor. And yet he defeated a guy over nine feet tall. And nobody else dared to do it. And there's a big issue here, and we'll come back at the very end and kind of summarize that. Now let's get into what we talk about, the giant of marriage redefinition. And this is a huge giant of our culture. The culture is saying it doesn't matter what God says about marriage. Whatever we want to say, whatever we want to do, and in fact, you'll see it where they're trying to basically eliminate marriage altogether. Whatever coupling you desire to have is okay, is what the culture says. The world is rapidly fleeing from God's revealed design to marriage. Any argument there? I mean, it's, it's been breathtaking. And some of you probably think it's always been this way, but I tell you, I'm old enough that all of this has happened in my lifetime. And most of it has happened in the last 15 to 20 years. The whole idea, not that there has never been uh, appeals to change marriage, but most of it has happened in our culture just simply in the last decade. It has been that catastrophic of a change, okay? It's driven by, oftentimes by self-defined love. The world tries to define love. And at best, the world engages in some kind of contractual feelings, but the Bible teaches us that true love can only be understood from the Savior, right? That kind of sacrificial love. It's also defined maybe by personal happiness. Whatever makes you happy is okay because it makes you happy. That doesn't go too far, especially if me stealing your wallet makes me happy, right? Or whatever. You can't, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. And it's also driven by the concept of companionship, which we're going to talk about in detail here. Right? If marriage is companionship, then any relationship that provides companionship is definable within marriage, really. The church is also drifted from God's revealed design in marriage. And this is going to be pretty much my premise here. We base marriage on Genesis 2. Not bad, just incomplete. We'll get there. It's also something we, marriage, we base marriage on companionship. Not bad, but incomplete. Okay? And it's also something we ultimately end up unintentionally altering marriage. The church does. And this, this I, I believe, if you look at any kind of history, it's incontrovertible. You can see that the church has completely changed their view of marriage probably at least since World War II. The church has become different and holds to something different than what they used to. All right, so let's look at the Word of God, right? That's, that's why we're here. So I would suggest that marriage doesn't begin in Genesis 2. I believe that marriage begins in Genesis 1, and you hopefully will catch on why I say that, but almost every bit 
of Christian counseling material references Genesis 2 as the starting point. That's where Adam is created, and then it's not good for him to be alone. He doesn't, shouldn't be alone, so marriage is intended to fill the alone gap, and that means companionship. So marriage is all about companionship. And I would say, yes, but that's an incomplete idea. Because you can have companionship in a same-sex marriage. You can have a companionship in a polygamous marriage. You can have companionship in any defined system. And it would not push away the concept of companionship. I believe that's a horrible basis for marriage. Because it, it, number one, I don't believe it's biblical, but number two, it's not logical to argue anything in culture of what culture's doing. So let's look. Where does it start? And here's the two verses here. By the way, I have everything in notes, so you don't have to really take notes. If you want, you're welcome to take notes. I can't not take notes, right? But if you go to northridgebaptist.com forward slash giants, you will have the PowerPoint and my full notes. So you can just pay attention if you want. I usually hand out profuse notes at our church, so I'm not used to just doing no notes, but I'll get over it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Is that in your Bible also? Just curious. Okay. I guarantee it is. I usually say that most people, if they're reading through the Bible, 1,189 chapters, they usually get Genesis 1 before they give up, right? So, I mean, and I'll, I'll be on you Thursday to read your Bible through every year. You can afford 15 minutes a day, but I'm saying even anybody who doesn't make it gets Genesis 1. And I think it's there for a reason, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 especially. But let's look at a closer look at Genesis 1.27 here, okay? Because what I'm saying is Genesis 2 is not the appropriate basis. We've start and end in Genesis 2, and I'm saying you cannot do that because God doesn't stop there. The end of Eve being brought to Adam is not the end of the day. He doesn't stop there, and yet we do. Right? Adam, uh, is, the woman is brought to the man and he goes, wow. And, and we close in prayer. <laughs> and it doesn't end there. Right? So let's look at a closer look. Read this out loud together with me. So God created man in his own image. So far so good? Do you agree with that? Yeah, if you read it out of scripture... You can just agree with that, right? You might not fully understand it. There's a lot there. But let's look at the second phrase. In the image of God, he created... Let's read it out loud together. In the image of God, he created... So far, so good? I highlighted a word. What's the word I highlighted? Okay. Let's read the third one. Male and female, he created... Is that what happened in Genesis 2? 
Yes. But notice here, look, let me show you here. I'm going to move this down because did they both get created at the same time? No, they did not. Who got created first? By the way, that makes a big deal to God. He did that on purpose. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. Then what happened? You know, all this other stuff happened. On day six, oh, it's not good for man to be alone. Name all the animals. None of them are going to work. Let's make a woman, right? Out of your rib. Then he finished up by creating Eve. Uh, the pinnacle of his creation, in my opinion. But when you look at him and them, Genesis 2, 7 through 25, fits in between there. He creates him, then he creates what? Follow me along here? Genesis 2 just expands or extrapolates on Genesis 1, 27. So let me just give you a few things here. Genesis, it's here where God created the man from dust, right? God puts the man in the garden. All this with just him. We'll talk about that in great detail tomorrow. And then God has the, the man name the animals, right? Just as a summary of Genesis 2 up to the point where he creates Eve, okay? Then male and female, he created them. Creating them happens at the end of Genesis 2. Any disagreement there? That's where it ends, right? Them is created at the end of Genesis 2. So no, no, nothing special yet, right? Let's, let's park here just for a minute. Not really my whole point, but it is part of the point. But he created them what? Male and female. All right? Again, not rocket science here, but specifically one male and one female. I'm going to have you think real hard and then tell me why. Why not two men or two women? Yeah, it's for a specific reason here. What's the suggested reason? And I was like, okay, you know, it doesn't come right out and say it right yet. But what's the suggested reason? Because the marriage relationship is intended for one male and one female for an obvious reason. Marriage is about an obvious reason more than companionship. Because you can have companionship. My kids love to come to camp. You know why? And it's not marriage. <laughs> it's companionship. My kids get all kinds. They write back and forth. You know, they're coming. To, one of them graduated this year. And the friends from camp came to the graduation open house and stuff. You know, it, it, they just love being here. Right? Companionship. You don't have to be married nor do you need a male or a female to come to camp or to have companionship. But you need a male and female for what? You need them. What comes after Genesis 2? Genesis 1.28. Right? What comes after them? This is their wedding. 
God brings the woman to the man at the end of Genesis 2. He created him, then he created, help me out, them. He's finished creating them, right? At the end of Genesis 2, he brings them together. And you know what his marriage ceremony was? This. Genesis 2 doesn't end. He brings them together and he says, this is the reason I have a male and a female together. By the way, notice the first word I have highlighted up here. What? Then. He created them. Then. God blessed. Help me out. Them. So who has to be there? The man and the woman, the male and the female, following me? Who has to be there? The male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and so on. We're going to get into that. But then, God bless them. So it's after Genesis 2 finishes, we get the rest of uh, day 6 in Genesis 1, verses 1 through, or I mean 28 to 31, Okay. And look at, look at your, New, or your Old Testament. New Testament won't help you much here. Look at the Old Testament, Genesis 1, and read to the end. All of this happens, and then he, God sees the end of day 6, and it was good. All of this happens before the day ends. He says to them, then, right? After them is created. After both have been created, right? So then he, I'm going to highlight this word. What is this? By the way, have you ever had a marriage ceremony where they use Genesis 1.28? Have you ever had a marriage ceremony where they use Genesis 1.28? They would not use this term blessed if you did. They'd say you ruined it. Why would you bring up children at our wedding? Right? God brought it up at their wedding because that is the purpose of marriage, the core purpose. Did you know there's no marriage in the future state? Must be no companionship in the future state. You with me? You think camp is fun. Wait till you get to heaven, right? But we don't have to have marriage to have companionship. There will be no marriage. We'll be like the angels, right, that are neither married or given in marriage, right? Right? There'll be no children being born. There's no procreation in the future state. I think I hear a siren. If you hear explosions, it's an air raid. If you hear stuff coming through the window, that would be a tornado. Usually, if you're not from Iowa, that means run out and look and see if you can see it. So, it's what it happens at our house. Is it close enough to see? Right. Anyway, God bless them. These are intended to be something good, not bad. Right? It's a good intent, not a bad intent. I, I remember when Rebecca was leaving Laban's house, and he said, may you be the mother of tens of thousands. 
Now, he wasn't expecting her to have tens of thousands all by herself, but the idea was, may you have many children, and then may they have many children, and may they have many children. Yes, that's the idea. Rebecca, in God's providence, had two children. So let's look at these real quick. <laughs> and I'll go through them quickly because my goal is I preach five sermons on <laughs> Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So this is, I'm squeezing in, but nothing like Will. He's still super special. But. Be fruitful would be have children. Anything, any discussion about that? What about multiply? Let's use our terms. Have lots of children. Fill the earth. Seriously, lots of children. Now, right, he wasn't expecting Adam and Eve to fill the earth. But listen, he was expecting them to have lots of children, and they have lots of children. That was the intent of marriage. And then we get into subdue. How do you subdue the earth? It takes many people to subdue the earth. Fair? And then, if you're having dominion, this one may or may not, but it's like you're having, you're, you're ruling over everything. Now, that doesn't mean you have to rule everything at once, but it, it does mean if you're having dominion over all the creatures of the earth, that's still, we have one dog, and crying out loud, a lot of work that dog is, right? <laughs> it's a border collie that I think her IQ is higher than mine by at least double. Right? Because I'm usually fetching. <laughs> so. But anyway, it takes work. It's a hard work. By the way, I don't address it at all today, but a lot of people argue that this isn't for today. The only commands that are not repeated anywhere else in Scripture are the last two. This gives you guys the right to have a garden or to own a dog. No other place in Scripture gives you that right. So if you don't have a right to build a house, dig a hole, or do anything else to the earth, God only gave it to you here. No place else in Scripture. By the way, he repeats the be fruitful and multiply multiple times. So if, if this isn't good for you, then I'm not sure where you should be living right now. Okay? Or working for that matter. Okay. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Those are the five, and by the way, what are they? Five wedding what? Commands, right? All five wedding commands focus on procreation, either directly or indirectly. Marriage, first and foremost, in God's design, is about bearing children. If you remove that aspect... You have redefined marriage to something different than what God has designed. Now, that doesn't, I'm going to raise some questions I know by talking. You say, what about people that can't have children? Well, I think God actually addresses that. In fact, I inferred that with Rebecca. God's in control of the womb. He said so, right? He, he knows that. He handles that, but there's even different things, right? What if you're a single person? God says that you can devote your entire life to God then. He doesn't, he doesn't leave you hanging. But if you remove the concept of children, and we do every day in our churches, we counsel people, hey, if you decide to have kids after you're married, and it's like, why are you getting married then? 
Because God says marriage is first and foremost about children. This is his wedding ceremony. Now I'm going to describe these briefly. This was another sermon, but I thought I'd throw it in. But what's the nature of these commands, these five commands, right? What are they? And I want you to think a little deeper on this. But first and foremost, and by the way, this is A, B, C, D, E. I couldn't go all the way to Z because it wouldn't fit on the slide. But they're, I just did them this way. So they're not necessarily the logical order. But listen, first and foremost, he says, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. They're authorizations. They're giving you the right to do that. If God says you can't do it, then you can't do it. It's like, okay, how fast does your car go? And my second question is, how would you know? Right? Because the speed limit tells you you can go so fast. You don't have the right, the authorization to go faster, even though your car may be able to go faster. The Bible says that you have no right to have sex outside of marriage because sex is for marriage. You might have the capacity to do that, and we'll talk about that in another letter, but you don't have the authorization. You're sinning against God and his design with sex outside of marriage. God gave us permission to carry out these five blessings. You have the right to build a house. You have the right to plant a tree or to cut it down. You have the right to have a border collie that's smarter than you. Right? Letter B. We'll run around again with this word, but B is blessing. It's the privilege to do these. He calls them blessings. If I mentioned if you brought this up in a wedding ceremony, one or two of the people that are prominent before you would faint. Because they misunderstand the purpose of a marriage. The primary purpose of a marriage. They're blessings. This is a privilege. He says it's a privilege to bear children. He blessed them. God considers each of these five as good and desirable. Now, we like to live in a house. We think that's a blessing. I like to plant a garden and watch things die. That's a blessing. <laughs> right? I think that's a blessing. Why not children? Why do we avoid those like the plague? Because God says children are a blessing. And if you've ever had one, they usually are. <laughs> and I'm saying that as a father, right? But I'm saying they're not always easy, but God says they're a blessing. A house isn't always a blessing, right? If you own a house, you don't really own a house. The house owns you. You're with me on that? Right? But it's a blessing. It's a good thing, not a negative. And we treat, the church treats children as a negative. We, then the culture follows through and kills their babies. What do you do with things that are blessings? You hoard them. I saw this gold digging thing. I'll be out there, man. <laughs> you know, what do you, no, I really won't. Maybe I'll be throwing quarters. I don't know, but. But, but I'm saying, you don't discard good things. You embrace them and receive them, right? 
good and desirable. Let her see their commands. If I understand correctly, a command means it's something we're told to do, not something we're given the option to do. Again, when, I, when you look at marriage counseling and all of that, it's like, well, you have to decide if you want children and how many children you want and all this stuff. And there's lots of discussion to go on there. I'm not trying to solve all the questions at once here. But I'm saying then you've misunderstood marriage. Marriage is for children. That's why you need a male and a female. It's not intended just for companionship. I would say get a border collie, but never mind, right? That's not going to work for you. Though she loves to have her head scratched. So do I. <laughs> so. Each is a command. You're commanded as a couple to be fruitful. You're commanded to multiply. You're commanded to fill the earth. And you're part of that process. You're commanded to subdue the earth, which we have no problem doing. And we're commanded to have dominion over all the creatures which if you have fish, you feed the fish every day and you, they own, you own them, right? Directions. I call this direction here. It's the path which will be taken. Not only does God authorize us and bless us and command us, but he also, I believe, created a path, a course set in motion at that time by God that will be followed. I was talking to my, I, I drove up yesterday because I have a son that works, he does pots and pans. I worked here for four years. I was three years as a lifeguard and then one in the kitchen and I had more fun doing pots and pans. Side note, right? But uh, I was talking to my, my three boys, uh, two younger boys and Daniel who's working up here and we're driving by and we keep track of all the license plates for all the different states. I don't know why, it's just something that's cool. California, woo! You know, and I said, "Isn't it funny?" But everyone who drives by, you're related to, right? It's true. It's not if; it's how. How far away? We're all descended. You know this, right? Not just from Adam and Eve. Much closer than that, Noah and his wife. Right? We're all descended, direct descendants of Noah. So I do genealogy on the rare occasion I get to do genealogy. Noah and his wife are up here. Now, I haven't made all the connections, right? I'm only a few generations back. But I could put a dotted line from there. And so can you. We're all related. God began that population course back in the Garden of Eden. He said, you will be fruitful. You will multiply. You will fill the earth. You will subdue and have dominion over it. Even people that don't know anything about this, do it. Unsaved people have children. Right? It's happening. God set the course to, for it to happen. We have over 7 billion descendants of Adam and Eve on the earth right now. So it's something that's going to happen. By the way, he told the birds and all of that the same thing that and the animals earlier in the day. And they ju it just happens. Right? They don't even have a fanfare or a wedding. They just follow God's plan. Let me give you the last one, though, because I think it ties in. But it's also the enablement. God gives you the ability to be fruitful. 
the ability to multiply, the ability to fill the earth, the ability to subdue the earth, the ability to have dominion over all the creatures of the earth. He gave you the physical capacity to bear children as a male or as a female. All right? If I can just step off to the side just a second here. That capacity is in every being on the face of the earth. And if you have any idea what denying and redefining what marriage has done for people, instead of encouraging them toward marriage and bearing children, as Albert Muller says, we've separated sex from marriage and babies from sex. And it has been catastrophic to the world and our culture. But is there a sex drive? By the way, I hope I'm not, you know, everyone's like, Ooh, he said the word again. But, um, <laughs> but God created that. He enabled us. He having gave us the, the I, I think D is more for the path. He gives us that drive, the desire to, to marry and bear children and all of that. But do you think that it's something the world needs? Do you know what the largest industry in the United States is? Pornography. Right? It's a, it's a perversion of this ability. But if we would understand that, oh no, God made that for marriage. So that you would want to produce children and it's not unenjoyable, right? Just like food is not unenjoyable. You notice that? It keeps you alive, but God, God put color into the food, right? He, he put taste into the food. He keeps you alive, but it could have been all, I was going to say oatmeal, but I had oatmeal this morning. But, I mean, it could all have been flat, nothing flavor, right? But God enhances our life with feeling and pleasure and all of that within the bounds which he describes and defines. It's not a bad thing. But I'm telling you, we need to teach our kids that sex is for marriage, and marriage, in great part, is for bearing children. That's what God gave us that sexual drive for and the sexual capacity to be able to bear children. That's what it's for. You won't have that capacity in the future state. It's for this time and this time alone. In the bonds of marriage, Adam and Eve, right? So what's our response? I have a few things here. And then I think I'm going to... I think I get a little time left, don't I? We've got 2.30? Two, two <laughs> it's 10.45, right? That I, I got. Anyway, I'm going to have you turn your Bibles in a little bit, just so I can show you a few things. But our response, we have to embrace... What the Bible teaches about marriage. We, we have to rewrite our books on marriage. Because we are ignoring what God says about marriage. And we make children bad, not good. Children something to reject rather than to accept. We change marriage into something else that, by the way, you break this, it breaks gender as well. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. 
This defines gender. If you ignore this, you break gender. We don't have any problem with gender in our society, do we at all? It's, it builds on this, right? Children are central to God's marriage design. Not a fringe thing, not an optional thing, it's part of it. Unless he chooses not to give you children. Right? He's God. He knows great things beyond our imagination. Male and female design is essential for children. That's what marriage is about. That's why marriage cannot be two men or two women. Or ten of, you know, it's not meant to be that. It's two formed into one for their lifetime with the primary focus of bearing children. That's their focus. <laughs> this is a side note. It's not a strong argument, but it's a little one. But you know how the summary of many men, when they, you get into the genealogies of Genesis, Adam lived so many years, he bore sons and daughters, and then he died. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't. It didn't focus on his. He bore children. That was what his lasting legacy is his children, not his career or whatever, right? Lots of cool stuff in the Bible. I suggest reading it. It's a pretty good read. And I'm not being facetious, but I'll tell you more later on in the week. Um, companionship is not an adequate basis for marriage. That's really almost a contractual marriage because we're not always the best of companions. No, I haven't been talking to your spouse, right? We're not always the best of companions. Sometimes we're too busy because of life. You have life at your house? You have work? You have a car? A house? Children? A border collie. Things get busy. But the Bible does not teach that companionship is the basis for marriage. You teach, God teaches that bearing children is the basis of marriage. Is there companionship in marriage? Hallelujah. There is. My best friend is my wife over here. Sorry to the rest of you. And probably good for the rest of you, right? But, but I'm saying... God is amazingly wonderful in his design because it's not good for a man to be alone. Even in his best state, not going to happen well. You know, it's not going to work well. We'll talk about that tomorrow more. But companionship is not. It's bearing children and raising those children up as a, a blessing received by God and then them uh, further, furthering your service to God, and then carrying on that to serve others, right? That's, that's what it's about. Last one that I have here. This concept is found consistently throughout the Bible, all the way through the Bible. You believe me? You're just going to believe me? <laughs> Take your Bibles. Got a few minutes yet. I think I have till 1045, so we got time. I was really scared I wasn't finished in time because usually I teach for about an hour. So, Genesis chapter 1, charge. Oh, sorry, that goes back in time for me a little bit. Genesis 1, 
find Genesis 128. Because I want to show you, not just tell you, that this happened all on the sixth day. Right? So let's look at verse 29. It said, And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. So they talked about babies and food. And the guys are like, this is good. This is good so far, right? 30, also to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were what? All that happened. Genesis 2 happened on day 6, right? And when he brought them together, their primary focus regarded bearing children. That's why there was a male and a female. And I know that just bristles us in our day. But I'm telling you, 90 years ago, you would have heard this from every pulpit. We have changed drastically in less than a century. Let's go to Psalms, shall we? Some of you know, yeah, Psalm 127, uh, you know I'll go there. Just two Psalms I want to show you. The concept of blessing is here. Throughout the Bible still, but it's brought out, but Psalm 127. We quote this sometimes, but my question is, are we really quoting it as God intends? I'm going to jump to verse 3 of Psalm 127. I like the first two verses. I used them a lot while I was in Bible college about the Lord gives sleep, right? Um, because I would stay up late, and I'm like, you know, I can only stay up so late to study, and then I got to go to bed. So not during class. I never slept during class. Too much to learn. Verse 3, behold... What does it say here? It doesn't say stuff. We put so many things in place of that. But children are in heritage from the Lord. What's the next part say? The fruit of the womb is what? Do you believe that? Because the Bible says that. It's a reward. The children are a reward. And they're more valuable than quarters that you can find even digging them for gold. Children are the only eternal thing that God will ever give you apart from eternal life. You know that? I can't wait for my house to be dissolved with fervent heat. Verse 4, like arrows are in the hand of a what? What's your Bible say? My, I have a New King James. Warrior. That's what mine is. Someone say mighty man. So are children of one's youth. Now, ponder this for just a minute. How many here, military or former military? Hua. Four years in the army and I served 
couple years in the Air National Guard. We had, you know what S3 is, right, for some military guys? Our S3 operations was uh, Captain David Petraeus at the time. See how it went back a little ways. And uh, Commander-in-Chief Ronald Reagan, you've heard of him before too, right? He was really good. He was really, really good for us. Um, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, what's the picture here? Shooting targets? If you go over to the air, do they still have the arrows? What do you call it? The archery thing. <laughs> when you get older, you get like a, a vocabulary of like three words, right? You just have that thing. They give you like, what, three or four arrows? That works, right? Because I can miss four. Right? Not a problem. Then you go find them and go get them again. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. What's the picture of that? A warrior. Anyone want to go to war with the amount of arrows they give you over there? What branch of military? Who, who's serving right now? What, are they, uh, what, do you, what weapon do you carry? M4. M4. Is that a sub Michigan? Or, okay. Four, four bullets? How many, uh, have you been deployed? Okay. Um, in the event that my nephew's, or no, my cousin's son is getting ready to go overseas to Afghanistan, they will give him more than four bullets for his M4. 220. Now, my question is, you probably wouldn't carry 220 arrows, so I'm not trying to equate a number, but what I'm saying is, what's your name, sir? Caleb, Caleb, how many bullets do you want to go into battle with if you go into battle? Thank you. Point. A lot of people like, well, you need to decide how many arrows you want. Uh, not if you're talking warrior. <laughs> well, one bullet's easier to carry than 220. <laughs> that, I'll agree with that. Make that count. <laughs> As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, you're not talking about grabbing a few and shooting targets. You're talking about doing eternal mission essential activities. As a warrior, you're fighting a battle and your children are included in that battle. Your children are tools for ministry, not problems to keep you from ministry. They're extensions of your ministry, not impediments to them. we got to get away from that. Sure, you can't do as much right now. When you're raising a child, oh my word, how much a child can do when they get older. Amen, Will? You know, at first you're doing everything for him. After a while, how's that lawn mowing coming, Daniel? <laughs> and it's not because I'm lazy. I work a full-time job plus I pastor, right? My kids are such a blessing to me. And then they come up and work at camp. <laughs> no, because Daniel taught his younger brother how to mow. Go figure. My in-laws live with us. We take care of them. 
It's their mower. <laughs> They've lived there 20, when did they move first? Permanently. A couple of years, I have yet to sit on that mower. And my kids serve at church. They serve all over, and they, we do way more than I can ever do. Don't ever say children are in the way. They're arrows in the hand of a mighty man, it says here. So are children of one's youth. That's what the Bible says. Children are something that God can use beyond you and will if you allow him to do so. It's hard, it's difficult, but it's eternal, and it's worth it. Number five here, verse five, happy is the man who has his quiver. What's it say? Do you believe that? It doesn't say you're going to be financially fluid, right? It doesn't say that. It's just happy. If you, you look at Will, he's just happy anyway. But he's got seven kids. He doesn't look unhappy. He looks like satisfied. This is neat. By the way, it takes, I don't know if you noticed that male and female thing, but it takes a wife. It's, the Bible's not saying the woman's unhappy. It's part of the happiness. And notice, they shall be, not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. The kids will. There's the spread of influence. Call them votes. But more influence. They impact other people. Are you still in Psalm? Let's go to the next one. Psalm 128. If, if this doesn't bother you, maybe the next one will. <laughs> Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Verse 3 now. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. That kind of correlates with Genesis chapter 1. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. God says that children are a blessing, they're a, a measure of influence, but altogether, I'll just say this, and by the way, you can go to the New Testament, every pattern you see has to do with a husband, wife, and children, right? That's the norm. It's not a bad thing, it's the God-designed thing for marriage. But if you remember anything, marriage is primarily for kids. Is there enjoyment in, in that? It's even more fun, Well, I'm just telling you right now, when you have grandkids. I just love it when my grandkids come over. 19 going on 20. Grandkids. And I love it when they cry when they have to go home. I have to admit, though, that it's not because they're coming to see Grandpa. They're coming to see their young uncles. 
playing with Uncle Samuel, who's 11 or whatever, you know, they love it, but they do cry when they go, and I'm like, yeah, I want you to hate leaving here, you know, but it's wonderful because the multi-generational influence, but Marriage is about children primarily, and we have to change our mind. It's not about careers. It's not about what I want to do. Look at what God says marriage is about. We need to raise our kids to think about marriage in a biblical way, and then we need to teach about marriage in a biblical way, and then we have to practice marriage in a biblical way. And you should, by the way, I preached to my niece's wedding in the Lake Okoboji area, June 1st, and I used this passage to start. Neither passed out, but it's the first time I've ever done it, and I preached many weddings. I, you know, it's just something that God has really worked with me on. Let me give you the summary here. When you think of Goliath, if you go back to David, the issue was not that they could not defeat the giant. It simply was that they would not because David went out and said, who is he that is talking like that? And then he goes out before Goliath and to me, what he uses is insignificant. The fact is that he's a kid, goes out there and he says, you are defying the name of the Lord God of Israel. In the same way, marriage, as people approach marriage, they're like, kids, that would be horrible. And it's like, your view of marriage is a theological one. It has to do with who is God and what has he said. What is God's power and what are God's promises? That's the issue with regard to marriage. It really isn't open to discussion much, if you see it there, unless you say that that is totally irrelevant for today, and I'd be interested in hearing your arguments and how you're moving out of your house, Right? But the issue for marriage is a theological one. Who is God? What has he said? And am I doing what God has said? That's really the bottom line. Will brought it up last night. He said this. And he had to do it in the, in the, the avenue of trials. I wrote it down. But it results in a lack of belief, ultimately, in who God has revealed himself to be and what God has revealed to us, clearly. That's really the bottom line. Here's the, if you need to grab the notes or the PowerPoint, you can get that. I'm here during the week. I'm glad to interact with you if you want. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still learning. as I read and study the Word of God, but I challenge you to do the same. Keep learning and look at what the Word of God says, not what the world says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Help us to be students of your Word and, Lord, followers of your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.